2: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned into episode number 467 of Linux in the Ham Shack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And this is our weekend edition, our upgraded version of the Weekender, uh, the 91st one of these that we've done. So thanks for tuning in. Things are going to be a little bit different, and we'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. But before we do, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX.
0: I'm
2: Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. So as we've talked about in the past, one of the things we are going to do to the show is revamp the Weekender. And we have decided to do that, and this will be the first one of those that we've done. And what we have done is kept in the hedonism and all the good stuff, but what we have taken out is all of the time-sensitive things, which are the contests and special events and and all that stuff that we have removed and what we are replacing it with is what we're calling or what bill has put in here spin the random topic wheel <laughs> so yeah i guess we can go with that until we come up with a more clever um title for this but what it is is i'm, I'm using a website called what is it called picker wheel picker And I've taken a bunch of listener suggestions and thrown in a bunch of my own suggestions for just random topics. And what we're going to do is spin the wheel of random topics, and it's going to land on something. I think there's like 20 or three or four in there. And whatever it lands on, we're going to talk about it for 15 to 20 minutes. So hopefully this will be fun. Hopefully it'll be mildly entertaining. These topics can range from Linux to open source, to amateur radio, to Linux in the Ham Shack, and to hedonism—it could be anything. So hopefully, it'll be a bit of fun, and uh, I hope we're all ready for this because uh, <laughs> who, who knows what's going to happen? But let me go ahead and click the wheel, and I think I think it'll wind up on the recording. If not, I'll stick it in. But I've, I've randomized the wheel five times. I'm going to click spin, and whatever it lands on, we're going to talk about. And uh, hopefully it won't be too much groaning, but here we go. It's spinning, slowing down. It has chosen. <laughs> it has chosen back in my day. <laughs> so we, we can talk about whatever we want about back in my day. This is this is one of those things where it usually turns into a pissing contest about Well, I used to use punch card readers back in my day, you know, that kind of thing. So (laughs) that's what I foresee for this. And it might help if we have some uh, suggestions or or input from the chat room. (laughs) But that is what it picked. (laughs) So that's what we get to go with. So uh, what do we want to talk about? Like, Let's talk about the early days of, of Linux. I know we've probably touched on this in the past. Cheryl likes to say that one day she came home and there was Linux on her computer, and that's <laughs> <laughs> that's how she got to, to learn how to use Linux.
0: Well, and that's not a lie, because that's exactly what happened.
2: Well, yes. I mean, frustration on my part <laughs> culminated in me just ripping Windows off your machine and saying, hey, here you go. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. So yeah. so
2: let's see. Um, so you you came into Linux much later than... Been, well me for sure i don't i don't know if i even asked bill when he started using it has that come up before i think we've talked about it in passing i i think so too and you're delayed already
3: <laughs> oh man
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well let me see let me give you a quick count one
0: and
2: he's gone oh he, he's gone okay well
0: he's back yeah
2: all right so all right. so you we're back so we've talked about it in passing. I, I uh, So back, back in my day, um, which was 1994, that's when I first started using Debian version 2. So things were really bad back then
3: because
2: <laughs> you had to, you had the, you got a kernel, you got a stock kernel, which basically had no drivers in it to speak of. And if you wanted to add a device, you had to rebuild the kernel. There was no modularization. There were no pluggable modules, nothing of that sort in the kernel back in back in my day. So, so every tweak to your hardware in, involved a kernel rebuild, and I would say you would do that with a thirty percent success rate. <laughs> so, when did
0: you say you started using WM? Nineteen ninety
2: four.
0: Okay, I thought you said nineteen
2: ninety two. No, no, nineteen ninety two so, is when Linux started. <laughs>
0: Gotcha. Yeah. There's a, like, you know, Debian didn't come out till 93.
2: So. No, I started 12. using it in 1994. Gotcha. So I don't couldn't tell you when in 1994, but sometime there. So, and I, I use some of the older stuff too, like SLS and Slackware, but I, I kind of sold it on Debian just because it, it was one of the early ones and it, it was the easiest, I guess, of the ones to use but certainly not easy, not like it is today, for sure. Graphical environment was basically a, a window manager. wasn't really a, an environment, so to speak. So, all right, Bill, so let's, uh, let's get back to you. When, when did you start using Linux?
3: Uh, I would say it's probably in the late 90s. Uh, I think with, uh, I bought uh, Red Hat uh, from a computer store. <laughs> uh, I was like version 1.2 or something like that and uh yeah it was cuz i was already messing around with uh, uh, sun os um at the time and i wanted to try out uh wanted to try out linux and uh that was an option because, you know you could either get a disk <laughs> attached to uh, the linux magazine or whatever it was called back then <laughs> and uh yeah so yeah the late you know, i think it was like 96 97 ish I think it would be, if I were to put a date on it, um, because I was uh I was still heavy back in the early nineties and mid nineties in uh in uh, uh running bulletin boards with Desk View, so I was an old DOS guy. Oh, bulletin boards! There's there's a back in my day topic. <laughs> <laughs> back in my day, yeah, back in my day, I could day. type faster than the 300 baud modem that I had.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I settled on for for bulletin board software. I settled on Tomcat BBS.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, we had friends at uh, Tomcat. I had a uh, quick BBS on mine, and I used uh, Intermail as the front end for FidoNet uh, and EchoNet and stuff like that. All right. I love, I love this FidoNet,
2: EchoNet, <laughs> InterMail. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we definitely hit back in my day.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Like I went, um, the guy that wrote InterMail lived in Davie, Florida. And I, I literally drove to his house and, and picked up the diskettes <laughs> to, to install it on my uh, system to uh, get me connected. <laughs> back when uh dialing was uh, kind of painful too to pass uh to pass uh, uh mail traffic around you had to be like within a, an exchange close to somebody so nobody ever nobody ever got uh long distance charges so um having as many bulletin boards plugged into intermail at the time was uh was pretty important to uh to kind of get uh, the flow of mails to pass around the system without uh, incurring you know Extensive long distance charges back when, back when we used to have to pay for long distance calls. <laughs> <laughs>
2: one one thing I don't remember actually doing is was ever being at 300 baud. I think the slowest connection I ever had to the internet was 1200.
3: Yeah, my first uh, my first modem was was a 300 baud modem. It came in uh, it came in my word processor. <laughs> I had I had a little uh, NEC uh, word processing notebook uh, dealio with uh, with a 300 baud modem had a LCD, you know, dot matrix screen, but you know, just like, you know, you know, whatever. Calculator like <laughs> yeah. screen. That would be sufficient for a word processor. And uh yeah, that was my first uh first connection. And then obviously from there I went to, you know, twenty four. I think the first uh modem I bought second was like a twenty four hundred baud then then I got into the um fourteen fours and then the fifty six Ks when they came out. Yes, and I, I'm willing to
2: bet you owned at least
3: one U.S. robotic Sportster. Oh yeah, yeah, I think everybody, <laughs> everybody owned one. At least exactly,
2: one. <laughs> at least. Pretty sure they were government issue at some point, but <laughs> yeah, that's what that's yeah. what our when I started working for the company that I work for now, they were still doing they were still running a BBS. Well, I mean, literally, we were transitioning from BBSs to internet service back in 2000, Y2K, back in my day. <laughs> And, uh, we had a whole like bank of of sports that was, that was like the thing that was what separated the home user from the business user was having more than one modem connected. So your bulletin board couldn't, could service more than one person at a time.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had two lines on mine, so, so I could still pick up mail and everything else and send mail out while somebody else was still on. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Mike said he was on a dial-up and someone called me. Yeah, I Got, yeah. Him up. <laughs> yeah, I got that call waiting.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, so what was your when? When did you first get on the computer? And I know you're using. Uh, I'm talking to Cheryl now. Um, what what was your first operating system? Just out of curiosity, Windows something 3.1, p- Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I I bought a Packard Bell around my birthday in 1993 mm. and i trying i've been sitting here trying to remember the bot on the modem it was it was horrible <laughs> and of course the only way to get online was long distance to springfield to the isp that was in springfield so i racked up humongous long
3: distance oh belt. geez Gosh, early porn
2: yeah, oh, I know. yeah, yeah
3: so. <laughs> well you try downloading those gifts at 300 baud let me tell you well yeah <laughs> like like i said i never
2: had to download them in any less than four or 2400 so um yeah but 2400 was bad enough and of course you know on my hercules monitor it was one bit color so you sometimes Ooh. you couldn't even tell what you were looking at <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i'm i'm pretty sure my modem was a 1200 so but i'm not positive
2: now yeah. i i can't say this for myself but i would say you're truly an old timer if you actually had a home computer that used an eight inch floppy mm. oh mine did an eight inch No, oh, de- no
0: no 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 five. Five, 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 and, five and, a and a quarter yeah
2: yeah five and a quarter five and a quarter yeah everybody had those right <laughs> I'm saying if you used an eight inch, that was, yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. You'd have been a pretty, pretty early adopter <laughs> to, yeah. have an, to have an eight inch floppy. Um, yeah. So, like, my first bulletin board computer was a 28612, um, and then it got struck by lightning along with everything else in my room. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll tell you bell.
1: Yeah,
2: so so Mike says he had cassette. I had cassette too. My first computer was a TRS 80 color computer. And the storage for that was cassette. Um I did I did at one point upgrade to the um there was a cartridge slot in the side where you could put in games and stuff kinda like a an NES. Oh yeah, and they also had an upgrade where you could use that cartridge slot with a full like thirty-pin ribbon cable connected to a five and a quarter-inch floppy drive. So I was upgraded from cassette to to floppy using that. Mm. The thing had a a rocking sixty-four k of memory. That was the upgraded version.
3: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean back then I probably had uh I had the TI ninety nine was yeah I never pretty, i never had the ti yeah yeah i had that one and that you know i had the cartridges um i could have got an acoustic coupling device for it um but i just never did my friend had the, the commodore 64 you know with the cassette tape and all the other garbage on it and i was like wow that's really cool yeah
2: <laughs> yep see my some someone sold my parents on the trs80 you know the radio shack thing yeah. And I don't know if that's because I spent most of my youth in Radio Shack <laughs> or, or what, <laughs> but... Um, a lot yeah, of people had those Tandy computers, so... Yeah, I know the first, the first lab we had in my high school when I was a freshman was all... Um, what was the... Uh, they weren't color computers. They were the Tandy, like, 1000s. Uh, is that what they were? No. I don't remember what the... <clears throat> but we had a lab of them. TRC-80 model model ones, TRC-80 model one does that on right
3: boys I'm going back always. yeah <laughs> yeah i had a, I had a trash eighty somewhere somewhere along the line I never used it though I ended up picking it up probably at a ham fest. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't think I ever used it as a personal computer, but it came with like dual dual uh five and a quarters in it and it had like the little green screen and everything else nice but i went from basically bulletin boards to uh to isp <laughs> um similar to you i guess but uh we were doing um telco return cable modems back when uh the cable was only one way you know had the cable downstream and they hadn't quite figured out how to handle the upstreams quite yet so we had uh, telco returns and uh we had the the big cisco uh not Cisco, yeah cisco cisco uh 56k um Straight in t ones into the back of the the modem banks, and uh those things used to get super 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 hot in the closet <laughs> when uh when they were racked up and we had like uh, uh six thinking like six t ones coming in there, so six of those devices in one rack, and it was like the air from the bottom of the rack would come in at like you know fifty four degrees and it would leave at about one hundred twenty degrees, yep. <clears throat>
2: I still have a I still have a Mac SE thirty here that has a ten base two connector on it. Oh jeez! <laughs> so if I, well, ever I remember doing hamfest like with
3: the uh, <laughs> I mean I remember doing ham with a token ring, <laughs> so, or not hamfest, but like a contest where we hooked all the computers up with coax cable. <laughs> yeah, back back when and fifty ohm
2: or Yeah, it was fifty ohm terminators were very important.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I still have a bunch, a bunch of uh, BNCTs all over the house here. <laughs> yep. See,
2: I, I work for I work for a telco in the early days of the internet and connecting to different things remotely. So I, I probably took a step coming up that most people didn't, which was instead of going straight from dial up to DSL or cable. I I took an intermediate step with ISDN.
3: Oh yeah, the one twenty eight. Yeah. Yep.
2: Well, with two channels, you got two fifty six.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I had yes. I had dual channel ISDN for a, for about a year before we started doing DSL. So <laughs> yeah, it's probably more like,
3: reliable than we have now for uh, doing audio transfer.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because it's all synchronous transfer. And but the thing of it is, um. ISDN like compared to compared to dial up ISDN was like so fast. It's like, Whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. It was awesome. <laughs> Porn at four times the speed. <laughs>
3: Uh. (laughs) yeah, I was like, I was working for the cable company and, um, they didn't service where I lived. So I didn't get to, uh, have free internet until I actually moved to North Carolina. So, (laughs) and, uh, by then they had two-way cable modem. So I was, uh, I was, I went from at home dial up to, uh, to a full two-way cable modem in North Carolina.
2: Yeah. We, we only had cable once that I can recall because Cheryl's lived here For a lot of her life and the part of it that she lived before she lived here there wasn't internet (laughs) so she didn't have the the pleasure of cable service i've never had the pleasure of cable service because i've always sort of been in telecom so it's always been dsl or you know whatever the latest and greatest thing is we did have when we lived in springfield for like a year and a half we we had cable um but really we've we've really never dealt with cable. So but I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not,
3: not in the Doxus world. I don't I don't <laughs> understand any of that stuff. I, <laughs> well I was even involved in like pre Doxus before and when we had the um up in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, we had Land City was the first uh two way cable modem product that they rolled out and then this was all pre Doxus. And of course, like within like two years that was replaced with the uh, you know, Doxis one.
2: Yeah. I know I know nothing of cable. <laughs> <laughs> except for television we had well and even then we had cable tv only when we had cable internet you know for for the rest of the time it's always been either ota or um or a satellite so my parents on the other hand have cable and it's terrible so
3: <laughs> <laughs> i can attest to that cable sucks yeah no? <laughs>
2: Yeah, but they live in a, they live in a like a community like an apartment complex or a condo complex so oh, yeah, all, they the, all they're the allowed to rate. have is yeah cable so but yeah what else what else back in my day what can I think of all the craziness that's going on I remember working on uh, Cisco uh, 2500 series routers a lot in my last job back in the day those little 1u routers that that really did next to nothing.
3: Hey, I'd I have one of those you, on my shelf, I think, still.
2: Yeah. You could connect, like, two things into them. <laughs> and, yeah, wow. <laughs> things have come a little way since then. What do you, uh well, you're we asking, Cheryl, Oh, I remember my dad having CompuServe, and if there was ever a worse service in the world, CompuServe was it. AOL was bad, but CompuServe was worse. <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> yeah oh it's funny my worst experience One of our our, uh yeah i'll let you go ahead with that in a second one of our friends he was actually here last night to play like a little impromptu you know pop-up poker game um but i i had well long convoluted story i had to send him some money so i did it through paypal and he still has an aol address
3: (laughs) (laughs) i know lots of people with aol addresses still it's pretty funny um yeah yeah Talk about AOL. So, like, they bought the cable company I worked for, Time Warner, <laughs> or like it was a merger, and uh, you know, it became AOL Time Warner. And I remember in the uh, in the conversion, they uh, they gave us all um, AOL email accounts <laughs> for work, and we had uh, had fobs uh, with uh, you know the thing we're used to now with the uh, two factor authentication for our AOL accounts to pick up our company email and uh, yeah it's nothing more annoying than having to log into an AOL interface to get your email <laughs> work it was horrible <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah uh, mike in the chat room was talking about uucp i remember having to do email with uucp but that's uh, that's real early having to have having to know your entire like transport and being able to put that into the UUCP, uh, whatever the equivalent of a URL was back then.
3: <laughs> um, oh, yeah. There was a lot of Gopher back then, too, to get between uh, servers gopher, and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah.
2: Gopher, and yes. There was, I'll have I'll have to save this for another time, but there was something I, I hacked Gopher somehow in a way to get to, oh, I remember what I did. I used the, the company that I worked for back in the mid-90s. Um, I eventually became their systems administrator through a series of weird flukes. But anyway, (laughs) at the time, they had restricted access to all of their outbound connectivity. They They had dedicated links to some of their other office locations, and they did have connections to outgoing modems and stuff, but you couldn't get to them. But I found out how to like shell escape out of the database program, got into the gopher and wrote in um, a line to do outbound modem connections so I could just fritter my day away at work. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty sure no one found out about that. So, <laughs> well, that's, uh, I wanted to mention two uh, oddball operating systems that I've run over the years. And uh, this is probably the oldest and dated one that uh i can think of is uh i had one computer that had geos on it uh which was uh later became uh geoworks ensemble <laughs> so, i remember
2: geos yep
3: yeah i had one of, i had one of those one of those computers
2: <laughs> i used to use mock a lot oh i don't think i've ever used that that was the uh next you remember next computers oh yeah, the- oh, yeah yeah next next ran mock it was their version of unix, oh the mock so, kernel,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah the thing that never actually got to go anywhere it was like the promise that we all got about uh this mock kernel <laughs> yeah. driven system that never never actually um um uh, went anywhere it was uh, always the <laughs> always <laughs> always something that people talked about it's like, oh yeah, this is like. Yeah, it was kind of like what NT was originally based on, I think. And uh, I think after that discussion, it pretty much uh, dried up in conversations, probably until like probably the real early 2000s. And then nobody ever talked about mock again.
2: (laughs) Right. Do you remember remember what the chat network was? I, I don't know if Cheryl used it, but I certainly used it. The one that the intercollegiate chat network that was in between ARPANET and the internet. Remember what it was called? No,
3: no. It was called BitNet. Hmm. it sounds familiar yeah i don't think i ever got into that it was it was mostly collegiate um but
2: there was a there was a chat mode in bitnet called relay it's uh it was the equivalent of you know what discord is now of course far lower tech but
3: <laughs> well irc basically
2: yeah essentially irc and um but it was on it was running on um it was running on unix systems we had we had uh vaxes it ran on it ran on v m s
3: oh yeah yep
2: so that's what that's what i was using in school to to chat with everybody in the
3: world <laughs> yeah i've i've experienced uh one v m s system <coughs> which is very odd <laughs> yeah v m
2: s is not no no bueno
3: <laughs> yeah yeah we had uh two uh two uh, laboratory instruments running on v m s on some deck alphas and um, yeah, it was a uh, very peculiar trying to write software to uh, pick up data from them. <laughs>
2: so, I think things like OS two, I think OS two and stuff like that were kind of derived from VMS type architectures. So,
3: yeah. It doesn't surprise me. Um, I mean, we had uh, when I went to uh, community college, we had OS two in the labs there. And I thought, nah, this is great. I love this thing
2: yeah i remember the deck boxes i also remember there was a challenge we had when i was a—I uh, think i was a sophomore when before i switched schools where the the printers were all like um giant they were giant work group printers and they were like in a office all by themselves and they had people who managed them so if you wanted to print a job you you had to print it and they would like pull it off the printer and put it like out on a Essentially like a, a mailbox, like a P.O. box, where you go pick up your print job. <laughs> and uh Fancy. Yeah. And uh one time I printed man, like all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember how many pages it was, but it was something on the order of a couple thousand. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so I had like four or spiral-bound notebooks with with the output of man. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, I think the the largest. Okay, the dumb dumb things I printed over the years. I did print <laughs> the manual to Quick BBS on my Dot Matrix printer, which took uh, you know an entire ream of tractor-fed paper. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, I also printed the uh, Keplerian elements at one point in time uh, on a regular basis, and I uh, I still have. I still have my three ring binder with some of those uh, earlier TLEs in there because uh, at the time I was uh, also involved in doing uh, satellite work with the RS 10 and 11, RS 10, 11, 10 slash 11, and RS 15. And uh, I think at that point RS 12 was sort of working half the time. So it really wasn't working that much, but a lot of contacts on RS 10, 11. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, a lot of printing. A lot of printing of that and then getting those uh elements in there and trying to figure out when the passes were and and uh yeah, doing the uh the old two meters up and uh ten meters down. Uh what what mode is that? Like S U? What's No, it's mode A, I think. A. Okay.
2: Yeah, I, I don't I don't do satellites enough to know what the the letter modes are.
3: But- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't think anybody talks about the modes anymore it's <laughs> unless they're talking about like uh was it uh, AO 54 or something like that or one of the birds that's still alive from back then that uh, occasionally flips modes and, and goes back into the two meters up and 10 meters down which i still think is the most accessible uh accessible satellite mode um you know probably beyond uh the repeater uh style modes that they have with the uh like SO50 and stuff like that, where they're, you know, two meters and 440 and they're all FM and stuff like that. But uh, for the transponder type birds, uh, you know, you don't, you don't hear any, any of them on HF anymore. Although uh, there's been obviously lots of talk of bringing those back and running those. And, you know, uh, I had the old, uh, uh, what I have, I had a eight element, uh, two meter quad up uh, running, uh, running a brick, which I still have down by my feet right now. hundred sixty uh, hundred sixty watt brick uh going into eight elements which uh is a lot of e r p and then uh and then I had the old antron ninety nine as my receive antenna um which is a old fashioned vertical uh fiberglass uh marine slash c b style antenna oh, I had an antron ninety nine the thing I remember most about that thing is after it being
2: up in the air for five years, taking it down, I got my fingers shredded by all the fiberglass <laughs> on it.
3: <laughs> that was the key. You just never touch it. You know, once you once you put it up, you just never touch it ever again because you'll just like you know, you'll feel like you've been like crawling around the attic with no gloves on. <laughs> exactly. Uh what else? What else could we uh back in the day? I used to go to the <laughs> we, we used to go over to um uh Port Lauderdale all the time. This is back in the Florida days, and uh we'd go to uh there'd be a, a like sort of a um uh tailgating thing that happened over there at the uh, Motorola building and uh, we used to call the uh the Motorola free flea market or the Motorola free flea for short. And uh, yeah, I used to go over there and find all kinds of all kinds of amateur radio equipment <laughs> that we would, you know, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that, and, you know, looking at like a TS520S or something like that and <laughs> a lot of the hybrids from the 80s. Yeah,
2: it's crazy. I I mean, we could probably go down this rabbit hole all day. We haven't heard much from Cheryl. You got any? You got any uh, back in your day stories? <laughs> your Windows ninety five <laughs> exploits?
0: No, not really. I just I had to uh, because of Dad and his I must punch buttons on a computer. I was having to call my friend Carrie a lot to have her help me fix whatever Dad had screwed up yet that next time, um, and there was a lot of reinstalling Windows. Because she would get so far, you know, she'd like, all right, let's take you through DOS and see what we can do. And then she'd be like, yep, nope, you're going to have to reinstall. <laughs> so I did that a lot. And finally got to the point where I told Dad, if you touch the computer and I'm not in the house, I will break all your fingers off. So, Because <laughs> I'd come home and you'd be like, you know, I went over to use your computer and something happened and now I can't get it to turn back on again. I'm like what you do? So that, there was a couple of fried, uh, power supplies and I'm not sure that he did that or lightning or in it or what, but yeah, I, I was not a big fan of Packard Bell by the time I was done with that computer. So
2: I do want to send out a quick shout out to anybody who's listening, who might know these three retro games that, <clears throat> um, formed the basis of my, of when I thought that computers became awesome. When, when CGA graphics were, were the thing but there were three games that i played all the time and uh, you know anybody who's who's from this era will will definitely recognize them uh commander keen oh yeah cosmic charlie and castle wolfenstein oh yeah but,
3: <laughs> two of the three here for sure
2: <laughs> yeah cosmic charlie was a little bit more esoteric than the other two but it's it's definitely the same vintage and man did i ever have fun playing those and leisure, also you didn't have leisure suit larry well, of course, I I didn't personally own it, but my my godfather oh, of course, did. Of course, he did. And I just played it on it. it. No, I did not personally own it, but my godfather did, and I played it on their computer. So that was kind of <laughs> creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: oh,
3: nice. Oh, <please>. oh.
2: <laughs> there was there was also a uh, you know when Doom came out. Um, of course, it's a little bit later. Um, but there was a there was a game. There were two games that came out after doom which i actually liked better than doom um heretic and hexen
3: oh yeah yeah
2: um those are those are fantastic games um and cheryl really wants to play mist and ribbon again are those are those online
3: anywhere i still have like the discs
2: i've seen but we we have no way to run them because they're like on floppy
3: yeah (laughs) so I've seen them, and actually, we have a computer here just for that purpose. <laughs> we actually have <laughs> an old Windows 95 computer uh, sitting literally three feet away from me. <laughs> My son has that he plays these uh, old random uh, games that can't really run well under emulators anywhere. I would assume you could probably run those under QMS or something like that, or 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 Qemu, Q Q E M U, right? Um, I if, think those, if I
2: could find a floppy drive, yeah.
3: Yeah, that's the trick is you have to find the floppy drive or you have to just find the the data. But uh, it should all be locatable. I mean, I've definitely seen all that stuff available out there. I think that's how my son's finding stuff too, to to put on to put on this little uh uh you know, uh, boat anchor here of a computer. Uh he's now <laughs> dealing with a a random IDE issue and I'm like, "Oh, well, it's probably the cables because the cables always go bad on IDE drives." <laughs> it's like the drives never fail. It's always the cables. So I was like, I pull out the cables, clean them off, and plug them back in. It's almost like having an NES.
2: <laughs> Mike says GOG.com dot com has missed, so there's one place Ooh. you can play
0: it.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, there's a good source. Uh, what was I going to say? Also, oh well, you're talking about games. Um, you know, going back to the bulletin board. I mean, the biggest game that uh, that I was running, and they were called Doors back then. Uh, Doors on uh, bulletin board. And uh was trade wars. You remember playing trade wars online I do
2: remember playing trade wars, yes.
3: Yeah, that was like the the big uh the big attractor because you could only do, you know, a few moves per day. So you'd have people that would come in, do their little moves, and then come back (laughs) the next day and continue on. Um yeah, it was a great game. Um a lot of people a lot of people uh connected to my machine and played played trade wars on it all the time.
2: Yeah. And we can't forget like the early text-based adventures like uh Hitchhiker's guide and all those and uh Zork. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this has been fun, but I think we should probably not go too much further.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This has been a, a great trip into uh, the olden times of uh, computers and a little bit of ham radio. So we got a little bit of everything and a little bit, of, a little bit of open source and Linux and stuff like that. Uh, um, I, you know, I don't think I can think of anything else except for, you know, the memory of going between SunOS and Solaris. That was uh, a little bit weird, but (laughs) a lot of common desktop environment, CDE, you know, fun stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. Migrating off of of Solaris and uh, and all that. I I mean, I I think there may still, in my old office at work, I think there's still a Spark station sitting in there.
3: Yeah. I'm still, uh, I have... (laughs) <laughs> the mouse pad I'm using right now is is one from my uh my Sun ultra two that i that is my desktop So it's, it's got the, that weird like purpley purple and gray kind of yep yep it's the sun ultra computing uh mouse pad, and I still use it to this day well for those people that are listening to live you'll see a picture of it in the live chat here in a second
2: <laughs> something about those sun colors you' cause even the computers were even the sparks and stuff. Were, were those colors, too. That sort of weird, purpley-gray, whatever whatever color you want
3: to call that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm so open open <laughs>
2: Indiana is still a thing. So, yeah, if you want to run OS and CDE, you can still do it.
3: <laughs> well, you I know, those rec- machines were fast. I mean, those those Spark machines, I mean, it's just such a shame that, um, that uh, Sun went away. And uh, I blame Oracle.
1: <laughs> everything evil could...
3: in our history it always goes back to oracle or hitler one or the other you know it's almost the same <laughs> well
2: thing. right of course maybe, maybe they're the same thing have you ever seen them in the same place no
3: <laughs> yeah no <laughs> i think there is something there
2: <laughs> all right all right let's move on so that was that was our random topic for this week in the weekender and the topic was if anybody wasn't following along till now back in my day <laughs> so Thanks for listening to that. And let's go ahead and dive on into the hedonism. Let's get to some more good stuff. That was fun. This will be fun too. And of course, we always start hedonism with food because, you know, while you're while you're playing those retro games, you got to eat and you got to drink whiskey because you can't do anything but make it better, right? So uh, we'll bring Cheryl back on here and we'll let her talk about what recipes she's got for us this time around.
0: Well, this week I picked one pot, 10 minute beef and broccoli. And I will admit that I'm all about finding a quick and easy meal because there are times I don't want to spend all day in the kitchen. And this is one of those, those that will you know do that. Um, we like Asian food. We've not tried this one yet, but it is on our to-do list. So what you need for this is one pound of ground beef, a bag of frozen chopped broccoli, a bunch of chopped green onions, three cups of cold-cooked white rice, and a cup of thick teriyaki marinade sauce. And I personally use kikkoman. That's the only thick one I've found. So there you go for that. Um, But toss everything in a Dutch oven, and you have dinner in probably 15 or 20 minutes. So, and of course, the recipe will be in the show notes. And for my mixed drink corner this week, I picked the Tequila Sunrise, and it's because oh well, yeah. It Russ makes a really good one. So, and for that you need um, two ounces of tequila, four ounces of OJ, uh, you know, three quarters of an ounce or so of grenadine, and some ice. And if you want to garnish it, you need a cherry and some orange slices. Um, and again, the the recipe will be in the show notes. But I did add the fact that. The recipe is, is, is it, the drink is st- strictly sweet. Um, if you don't want to be so sweet, add a squeeze of lime to give it a little tartness. If you want it to be a little more complex, use an orange liqueur in it, like Cointreau. Um, you can make a tequila sunset by substituting blackberry brandy for the grenadine. You can use vodka in it for vodka sunset or use Malibu coconut rum for a Malibu sunset. So there's a couple of different options there. So
2: Oh, back in my day, blackberry brandy was the way I used to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> well, poor
3: bastard.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I drank an awful lot of blackberry brandy <laughs> in my late twenties. Oh okay. you still have a palate.
3: I do. I do. Amazing. Still have
2: I know. <laughs> All right. So moving on. Well, that sounds good. Maybe I'll have a tequila sunrise tonight. Do you, do you want tequila sunrise? I know you say you're not really big into tequila, but
0: tequila and I had a very bad relationship when I was in high school. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm I don't drink a lot of it. So
2: are you, are you over that now? Like, you could probably try it, maybe?
0: I, I Yeah, I could probably. Yeah, and I've had a tequila sunrise when you've made it. I just don't want a steady diet of tequila, probably because I drink too much of it. But as you know, Hasn't that a happened person. to everybody
3: that has drank tequila? You know, you well, always end up drinking yeah, too much of it. <laughs> too much of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I lived on tequila for like 10 years. And then one day my stomach went, you know, I can't do this anymore. And I went, oh, okay. (laughs) So then I switched to vodka and my stomach has kind of done a, I can't do this anymore. So now I'm on rum. (laughs) So so I guess maybe when the rum days are over, I can go back to tequila. tequila. Yeah, it should be about time. (laughs) Full circle yeah exactly or i could just you know make a slight u-turn into the whiskey shelves or scotch shelves in the gamer so i I don't
3: don't think the tequila sunrise is terribly sweet i mean of course the way i make it i just the grenadine just goes in just just to color it you know just to get the effect right so like i don't think i put that much sweetener in it because it's still very tequila and i probably put probably more tequila than orange juice but that's just me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. oh no no that's the
2: way i make them too absolutely
3: yeah more tequila-y <laughs> with a little bit of orange juice and then just a smidge of grenadine just to get the the color the
2: sunrise right yeah yeah. yeah yeah absolutely you make them the same way i do so <laughs> all right so what i've got tonight in my drink corner is a bottle i just opened before the show it's bradshaw's kentucky straight bourbon and let's see does it just say bradshaw or does it say yeah it says bradshaw but this is this is the collaborative effort between Terry Bradshaw and the Silver Screen Bottling Company, which I'll get to that. I'll just go ahead and read the, uh, my description here. The description is, uh, and I included that this is batch number 0005 that they included on the bottle, or whatever that's worth, uh, they say four Super Bowl victories was no ordinary feat, but then Terry Bradshaw was no ordinary player, and he's definitely not an ordinary human being even today. So <laughs> you ever see <laughs> Terry Bradshaw do anything? He's a he's a unique individual. And what is the what was the movie where the line went? Oh, he's unique, and what's unique is that like Latin for asshole? What what the? <laughs> no, you got me on that. I think, it's a, I think it's a John Candy movie. I think it, I think it might be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles or or one of those. But anyway, uh, I'll think of it at some point. So anyway, so it makes sense that Terry Bradshaw Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey is anything but ordinary, blended from the finest grains and aged in hand-selected barrels. The 212 blend is worthy of a nod from a true champion. Bradshaw Bourbon is a collaboration between Bradshaw and Silver Screen Bottling Company, which is known for bottling several celebrity liquors. The bourbon is bottled at an ABV of 51.9%, which is a nod to his career passing completion percentage. 51.9% doesn't seem awfully high, actually, but (laughs) Um, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Uh, Batch 212 is a reference to his career touchdown passing total. And this bottle, or this whiskey, rather, is aged for two years. So, yes, you're getting a young, young bourbon. So why he decided to go with such a young bourbon, I'm not really sure, but it is what it is. I was able to find the mash bill on this. It's 70% corn, 21% rye, and 9% malted barley. So it's a pretty high rye bourbon. It's a, it's along the lines of Blanton's. I think Blanton's is, is sort of right in this category uh, for high rye. The proof on it, as we've already discussed, 103.8 proof, 51.9% ABV. It comes out of Owensboro, Kentucky, because it is... Uh, only aged two years. It's pretty light in color. I would call it a light golden honey color. And the nose. The nose, yes. I've got it right here. Um, it's uh, It's got vanilla and toffee. Definitely some banana. Maybe even a little peanut or peanut brittle, like sweetened peanut. Or um, what like honey roasted peanut, maybe even. A little baked bread. And uh, definitely a hit of ethanol. So you can definitely tell it's pretty young. Uh, on the taste, we have uh, some notes that are that sound like they'd be really good, but they're kind of light, and the the sort of green grassiness and the of the of the grain, the sort of youth of the grain comes through all of these and doesn't make it particularly interesting, but they're all still there. Uh, a little higher proof and a little more age would definitely accentuate uh, the cinnamon, baking spice, vanilla, cherry cough syrup, and lightest hint of coconut or toasted coconut at the end. So, a few things in there, but is is wait, appetizing. Wait, what,
3: what, kind of, what kind of cherry cough syrup? Are we talking like Vicks or what? <laughs> <laughs> Probably Robitussin. Oh, not Tussin. Ugh, not tussin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not, I mean, it's
2: definitely the worst part of, of all of this, <laughs> that cherry, that sort of artificial cherry flavor. Uh, the finish has little hints of toasted oak, uh, a young a young sort of grassy toasted oak, vanilla, of course, the rye spice is in there because it's pretty high rye, and a little bit of butterscotch, so... I mean, it, it has some, some distinguishing notes and distinguishing features, but none of these really add up to a pleasant experience. The youth and the, the sort of uh, hit of, of ethanol, of alcohol, kind of is in the forefront, masking all of these other things. So I would love to try this at a barrel proof after it's been aged another four to five years. There will probably be a, a really interesting dram. But right now it's not particularly interesting at all. Uh, I gave it an eighty-three on my list because I have definitely tried worse things. <laughs> um, but an eighty-three is where it lands, and it costs about forty-five bucks. And you can find way better stuff than this for less than forty-five bucks. So I, I definitely cannot recommend this. It I I will say that the youthfulness sort of got drowned out when I made my old fashioned out of it. So making an old fashioned out of it picks up the rye note and that's kind of what you want in an old-fashioned so so in my particular old-fashioned the way i made it i'm going to give this an 87 it significantly boosts the 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 character of the whiskey it sort of takes out takes off that ethanol edge and gives you the rye hit that you want and and so it's much better as a mixer than as a straight drinking whiskey but if you like terry bradshaw and you want to support his brand and his uh you know, collaboration to create a whiskey. You know, it's something you could buy. I can't recommend it, and there are other. I mean, this is a very gimmicky whiskey. There are other gimmicky ones that are better, um, for about the same price point. So, I'm not going to recommend this. Like I said, 83, 87 in an old fashioned, and that's that's really all I've got. So, we'll let Bill tell you what he's got.
3: Yeah, and uh you know, strangely enough, I have a tequila. <laughs> i'm uh i'm having some uh calafino reposado tequila uh my wife actually got a um uh, gift basket as a sort of a door prize to a uh fundraising event the other day so this is free tequila to me which is the best kind of tequila in the world but i do have to say that uh wow this is actually uh this is actually pretty good uh, this is the California Reposado tequila is made with uh, this is from the website is made with 100% ultra premium a blue Weber agave aged for one year in American white oak barrels. This creamy honey Reposado is perfect to mix in your favorite cocktail sip neatly or on the rocks. And yeah, I did have it. Uh, I did have it neat the other night just to taste it. And uh, yeah, it was actually um it was surprisingly really nice. It was a, it was a nice sipping tequila, which I don't generally do i mean you know the tequila normally just shoot it right you know (laughs) so uh, and tonight i'm having it uh with uh with a tres agaves tres agaves margarita mix organic and uh it actually uh just shines shines quite nicely as a uh margarita up on the rocks and uh yeah i i enjoy a, a tequila every now and then i don't generally go in out and buy it but you know when a bottle comes to your hands for for nothing you should definitely you know, just enjoy it. <laughs> I think the bottle runs about, uh, about 50 bucks or something like that. I don't know. And it's probably very state to state. It's a, you know, 40%, uh, alcohol. So 80 proof. Pretty, pretty typical for tequilas. But, uh, it does have a nice profile for, uh, for just, just having it as a, as a sipping, uh, tequila. So, uh, so yeah, that's it. Calafino reposado tequila. All right. Very good. Mike in the chat room says, shoot it and regret it.
2: and Cheryl found for me that it was actually from planes, trains, and automobiles and I actually remember the scene now it was John Candy and Steve Martin sitting in a restaurant talking to each other and uh, Steve Martin is trying to get out of being around John Candy anymore anybody who's seen the movie will know what I'm talking about (laughs) and he says uh, let me close this conversation by saying that you are one unique individual and John Candy says Unique. Uh, what's that? Latin for asshole? <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> yeah. In
2: context, it is friggin' hilarious. But, <laughs> of course, Planes, Trains, Automobiles is one of my favorite movies of all time. So, there you go. Tony wants to know what libation he should bring to him. Mention. Anything is good. Anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing... In, I, I think I've got three whiskeys in my, my cart at Total Wine to pick up on the way. I think they're all... I think that well no, I think there's two Missouri and one Indiana uh whiskey that I'm bringing. so
0: you need to throw something for me in your cart while you're at it.
2: Why don't you throw something for you in your cart?
0: <laughs> in your cart? Okay. Well, well whatever. Just phone. tell me
2: tell me what it is and I'll throw it in the cart or yeah, you know, whatever.
0: Well, as I said, um, I saw that screwball was on sale, so
2: Oh, uh, you want some screwball? Okay. I'm
0: thinking about it. So. Okay.
2: Screwball. Screwball peanut butter whiskey. Yeah.
0: Well, they have all different flavors
2: now. <laughs> okay, well, just let me know what you want and I'll put it in the cart. All right. Okay. All right, very good. So, Calafino or an episode of tequila in the house. Excellent. I definitely need to try some more tequilas. We would we, like to try a little bit of everything. I just haven't spent a lot of time on on some of the clear liqueurs. So, all no. right. We, 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 I mean, we're working on it. We've, we've got stuff that we bought in New Hampshire and Massachusetts and stuff we haven't tried. Like, we've got, you know mead and
0: there's gin there's gin wine and gin
2: and tequila and all kinds of crap (laughs) so all right so moving on let's do some announcements and feedback um the announcements we have are hamvention 2022 is happening and as you listen to this it will be very very soon so make sure you come out to hamvention we'll be in booth 5004 that's in the hertz building building five and we hope to all see you there and um Yeah, it should be a good time. It's been been a long time since we've all been in Hamvention, so looking forward to it. And then, of course, after Hamvention on June 4th is the Smart Ham Fest, which is the Southwest Missouri Amateur Radio Club, and Linux in the Ham Shack, i.e. me, will be there from 8 to 1, which is when they're operating, and that's on uh, Saturday, June 4th, like I said. So if we don't catch you at Hamvention, hopefully I'll catch you there.
0: And that's in Springfield, Missouri.
2: Springfield, Missouri, yes mark.org smarc.org of course all that stuff's in the show notes so all right and we don't have anything else we don't have any feedback this time around but we'll go ahead and we'll let cheryl finish us up with the new subscribers supporters and live show listeners what do we got
0: well for this time we do not have any new subscribers or patreons but luke kevin Dole joined us on facebook at ch underscore abdullah 68 joined us on twitter Craig Bladow joined us on YouTube, Cyber Carpincio joined us on Discord, and in the live chat, we have Tony K4XSS, Ted WA0EIR, Mike K6GTE, and Don KB2YSI.
2: All right, very good. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this revamped edition of The Weekender. We hope uh, you enjoy the new format, and we'll see what kind of random topic pops up the next time should be fun to discuss whatever it is and if you have suggestions for these kind of topics that you like us to put on the wheel we would love to have them make sure you send us an email at info at info, and we will definitely add your suggestions to the wheel of mystery topics and and you'll hopefully hear some fun and interesting things when we do the weekenders every three weeks and in the meantime we hope to see you all at hamvention which is coming up real real soon now so take care we're going to go ahead and sign off and we'll catch you all next time around this has been episode number 467 of linux in the ham shack i'm russ k5 tux
0: i'm cheryl w5 moo
3: and i'm bill any 4rd 73
1: thank you for listening to this episode of linux in the ham shack lhs is a community sponsored podcast our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke Podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one 909 lhs Show. That's one nine oh nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.